Hello, World Civ. Hopefully, you guys are doing well. Let's get into today's lesson. This lesson is going to be lasting us for this week coming up. That's the week of the 11th through the 15th. So Monday the 11th uh, is when we'll, we'll be starting this. I'll probably send this over the weekend, so you might get it maybe on fr probably Friday. Today's Thursday. Maybe I'll send it tomorrow. Uh, so uh, you'll have the weekend and you'll have until the 15th to get three parts done. So there's only three things you're going to be submitting. It's going to take a little bit of time because these are actually two lessons that are combined into one. And so please take your time with it. If you feel like it's too much, you get halfway through and you're done with half of the, of the lesson, the first part, great. Uh, you can hold off and maybe complete it on a Wednesday or Thursday before you submit it. All right. So make sure you have a couple of things. Of course, this podcast uh, you're going to need. We're going to go through some contextual information, some background information on both parts. Um, and also you need the PowerPoint that has some of the uh, the information that we're going to be looking at. So the PowerPoint is going to say African decolonization, 1945 to the present. So let's get into it. Second slide that you guys have on your PowerPoint it says the negritude movement, right? The negritude, negro for black, the blackness movement. Today we're looking at African decolonization and how nations in Africa uh, kicked out, much like we just saw with uh, India, for example, and the British, that the Indians pushed out the British and declared their independence. We're going to be looking at the continent of Africa and how, I believe in total, it's going to be uh, seven nations that we're going to be looking at in Africa that liberated themselves and declared their independence. And then as well as, like we saw with India, some of the issues and the problems that come along with it. It's not that a nation automatically declares its independence and, you know, just letting a snap, everything is perfect. Yeah, you have your own nation state. Now you have to figure out what that is, what that looks like, who's involved, what type of government are you going to have? Is it going to be democracy? Is it dictatorship? And if there's trouble with uh, society, politics, racism, you name it, that's all going to be uh, within this section on Africa, all of those issues and problems. But for this second slide, the Negritude Movement, uh, the Negritude Movement or the Blackness Movement was a movement that developed in the post-World War One uh, and eventually even in the 1930s, 1940s, post-World War II movement amongst Africans and Black Africans or Pan-Africanism throughout the world. So they were mostly Africans and blacks that lived in France, in Paris, uh, as well as some individuals and blacks who came from the Caribbean area. So the, the Negritude movement was mostly outside of the United States. But the Negritude movement was actually based off of a previous movement that was American-based, and that was the Harlem Renaissance. So in the late 1800s, going into the early 1900s, there was a huge movement of of Americans. Um, and we're talking about great migration, migration from the South to the North for many African Americans, as well as um, any Americans moving from the East to the West. So there is a huge migration happening across the United States. And for African Americans, Harlem was the largest section where the great migration took place from the South to the New York area, the city of, of Harlem. Uh, this was known as the New Negro Movement or Negro Movement of the time period, and eventually the title became the Harlem Renaissance, because Renaissance means in French to be reborn. So in the rebirth, there is a rebirth of what it means to be an African-American, what it means to be black at the time period. And this was expressed in a variety, in intellectual um, uh, patterns, um, 
in writings, for example, by Langston Hughes, in society and artistic explosion, um, in jazz music and art, uh, Dizzy Gillespie being one of the great jazz musicians of the time period. And this saw very much a, a liberalization of African-American society. Um, the Harlem Renaissance, like I said, eventually does lead to the Negritude movement. So the rebirth of American black culture eventually is going to, if you want to maybe call it like popular culture, a lot of a lot of what the world has today is popular culture. And much of that is based here in the United States and Western society. So um, African-Americans redefining themselves in the Harlem Renaissance then inspired other blacks across the world to start defining themselves and looking uh, inward and saying instead of of society and let's say white society defining who I am, what I am as a black man or a black woman, it's time that I take the power and define myself. And we as a, let's say a black community would have the opportunity to define ourselves and give, our, give ourselves meaning. In the next slide, you're going to see two poems. And this, these are two poems that are added here just to give you an idea of what the negritude movement was as far as the literature was concerned. All right. One of the things we're going to see here is definite pride. Is definite pride in being black, in being and having descendants from uh, descendancy from Africa. So the first one is from David David Diop. Now David Diop is not African born. He is a uh, French African. Uh, his grandparents, I believe, were the ones who are actually from uh, from Africa, and so his. Is a poem, the first poem we're reading here is Africa, so we're just going to read through it. Africa, my Africa, Africa of proud warriors on ancestral savannas, Africa that my grandmother sings on the banks of her distant river. I have never known you, but my face is full of your blood, your beautiful black blood, which waters the wide fields. Okay, a couple of things coming out of that first stanza, right? He's not African, but his grandmother is, right? Africa that my grandmother sings. My grandmother tells me about Africa and what Africa is like. And he says, uh, he continues to say, I have never known you. So David Yop has never actually been to Africa at that point when he's writing this poem. Perhaps he goes at a later point. But he is African. It's in his face. It's in the color of his skin. It's in his blood. It's in who he feels to be. Continuing into the second stanza. The blood of your sweat, the sweat of your work, the work of your slavery, the slavery of your children. Africa, tell me, Africa, is this really, um, is this really you, this back which is bent that breaks under the load of insult, this back trembling with red wheels, which says yes to the whip on the hot roads of noon? Wheels are uh, discoloration of the skin, so the remnants of being whipped or being beaten. Uh, so here he's, he's also bringing in this question of, is this really Africa? Is this really the Africa that, that people know? Is it the Africa of slavery? Is it the Africa of blacks being insulted and subjected to being uh, beaten? So, it's a, I mean, it's a, an important question, right? He's never seen Africa, but what what is Africa? Is this truly the Africa that people believe Africa to be? And then he continues and ends with the... Uh, the last stanza. Then gravely a voice replies to me, impetuous son, that tree robust and young, that tree over there, spindly alone amidst white and faded flowers. That is Africa, your Africa which grows, 
grows patiently, abstentionly, uh, and whose fruit little by little learns the bitter taste of liberty. Right, the fruit, I, I'm going to assume here, but the fruit meaning the children right, that are born from that tree. And that fruit, little by little, is going to learn the bitter taste of liberty, um, but the, the, the freeing of themselves, um, maybe perhaps bitter, that there is a bitterness in the fact of being liberal, um, becoming independent and freeing themselves that comes with it. Uh, so a, a really important poem from David Dopp, uh, Diop trying to show his connection as a French African to his racial, um, giving himself racial meaning, a racial connection to the ancient land of Africa. And in the second poem, this is from Ame, I believe is how you pronounce, Cesare. Uh, he is from Martinique. So he is from one of the islands in the Caribbean. So here we have yet again another man who is not African born, but has African blood in him. And he's rejoicing about that. These are uh, cultural and racial poetry that shows the beauty of what it means to be African or what it means to be black. And if you notice here, there is a, uh, a repetition. So he says, for beauty is black and wisdom black, for endurance is black and courage black, for patience is black and irony black, for charm is black and magic black, for love is black. And swinging and hip swinging black for dance is black and rhythm black for art is black and movement black for laughter is black and joy is black for peace is black for life is black. And I think what Amesha Zadeh is trying to say here is that oftentimes there is this view that black is wrong, that black is evil, black is dark. Um, if you think perhaps back during the times of, uh, I don't know. The cowboys and Indians, I'll say that word, but cowboys and Native Americans that were really prevalent in the 1950s and the 1940s, that you always had kind of the cowboy who was all dressed in white. He'd come in, he'd save the day, and you had the villain. The villain was always dressed in black, and it was like Black Bart. And there was always a connotation that white was good, black was evil. I think it even goes back to biblical uh, ways that white means some sort of purity of God and black is evil and the devil. And so from a Western perspective, attachment of those colors also comes along with um, a, an assumption and a stereotype of what those colors mean. But once again, it's, it's a popular predominant society passing judgment and stereotyping an idea, a concept, and in this case, a color. And so as, let's say, white Western society views the color white as good and black as bad, well, if that is popular society, that means that people are going to start believing it. And what does that do to the psyche of African-Americans and Africans in general and blacks when popular culture tells of them that the color of their skin is wrong, that the color of their skin is not good, it's evil, or it has an evil connotation? well, then you're probably not going to have the best judgment of yourself. Right? When you look in the mirror, you're probably, I mean, after a while, that's going to really do some damage on the psyche as you're trying to figure out what you are and who you are. Well, not anymore. In the Negritude movement, it's blacks and Africans or African blacks across the world having a moment to create joy of the color of their skin, of their ancestry, of their culture, and promote that take the definition out of the hands of popular culture 
and give that definition, that self-defining moment into their own hands, into that single community. And if you go to the next slide, this is our fourth slide. This really speaks to the importance of self-definition. Both the Harlem Renaissance and the Negritude movements allowed blacks to define themselves, not other groups, outside groups like whites, uh, creating stereotypes or creating meaning on what it meant to be black or what it means to be white or what it means to be gay or what it means to be straight or what it means to be perhaps even nationalities, what it means to be an Italian or German or Chinese or Argentine or Mexican or American. The people who are of that group define themselves. The outsiders oftentimes are the ones that throw stereotypes into those terms. Now, there are a couple of videos that I, I want you guys to see here because this, I think, really speaks to the idea of self-defining. When the power is in the hands of the people who define themselves, then I think people really have an opportunity to find out and figure out who they are. But when other people are defining you and saying, oh, you must be this or you must be that, well, that, that kind of entraps you, it sets up a trap, and it pigeonholes you into what the world believes you to be. So the first video I'd like for you guys to click on and check out these are on African men. It's going to talk about some stereotypes and then eventually, and this is from a couple of years ago, so they'll bring up Facebook um, on here, which I know for your generation is like, I don't know, that's like what, World War One status? Like that's 100 years ago. So uh, take a moment to, uh, to look at that video and then we'll reconvene. After you've seen the African men video, the same thing you're going to notice for women, right? When popular culture defines women, when society defines women, what does that mean for women? If men are asked what is a woman and a man or men in general give their assumption of what women are and that becomes the predominant and prevalent idea, then women don't have an opportunity to define themselves and it takes power away from them, from self-defining. So please click on that, that next video and you'll see uh, the same perspective that the African men had from a female perspective. Now, in, in watching both of those videos, right, even the, the one on, on women, right, that one's pretty powerful as they're having both girls and boys pretend to throw like a girl, uh, run like a girl, whatever that connotation has, right? And they show the older women and the, uh, or the older girls and the uh, boys that stereotype, right? But then they ask the younger girls about what it means to throw like a, a woman or throw like a girl or run like a girl. And they are not affected by popular culture. And they run as fast as they can and they throw as hard as they can and they fight as, uh, as vicious as they can because popular culture has not constricted them and defined them. They're still uh, outside of that loop. And then all of a sudden they hit puberty and expectations are placed on women. So I think, and, and even on, let's say in this case for the, the, the race portion of the African men, that whites are through movies stereotyping African men and that African men are supposed to be a certain way and only that way when that's of course not true. Um, I have a little uh, definition or a little uh, quote over here from C.W. Fields. That's uh, an old actor from uh, the early 1900s. Um, he almost looks like the penguin. If you guys have ever seen like Batman, um, he's like one of those apothecaries that would sell, uh, potions in some of these black and white films. And he'd be the one with the big cigar and he'd be saying things like, scram, kid, you bother me. Yeah, scram. You know, that real big guy. If you guys look up his face, you might recognize him. 
But he said, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. And what I like about this is that the quote itself kind of fits in with self-defining, right? It's not what somebody else defines you as, it's how you define yourself. And so if, if you say something like, I'm an American, and you know somebody else says, hey, American, and you know, well, you define yourself as American, so there's a connection there. Um, but if you know, if somebody, if you say, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'll use this as a history. I, I'm, I'm Jewish, you know, or I'm, I have a religious. I, I'm, I'm Catholic, but maybe I don't see myself as as Jewish or Catholic. My, my, my family might be Catholic, for example. I, I am Catholic, but I'm saying, let's say in this case. I don't define myself. That's not like one of my top 10 things that I would define myself as. I, maybe I define myself as an American or I define myself as a man or I define myself as a father or a husband or whatever the terms are that I say are important to me. But somebody else looks at me and says, oh, you're Catholic? Oh, you're a Catholic. Oh, well, then you must. Oh, you're white. Well, then you must. Right? And with those terms they throw upon us, they automatically pigeonhole us and stereotype us to say, oh, well, you must believe in this, or you must agree with this, or because your family is of this background, then you must speak this. You know, if your family came from Mexico, well, then you have to speak Spanish. And then you go, well, I don't, I don't speak Spanish. What? No, no, I'm Espanol. Oh, pecado. I don't know, whatever. And I, it's the same thing with me. I, I got that as well, being a kid. Um, I, I grew up speaking Italian, and then I lost it, and then I had to go back and kind of get it uh, through through college. And that was one of the biggest things that I really felt kind of poor about with my my uncles and my aunts, that they would judge me. We'd go to Italy and I'd, I'd understand a little bit of it, but I wouldn't speak it. And they were like, well, what? your your family's Italian and you come from Italy and they're, uh, you should be speaking Italian. And I the only thing I was thinking of was, why don't you speak English? Like, hey, come on, you know, if I can speak Italian, well, then you figure out how to speak English. I don't know where we're going with this conversation. Let's move on. All right. If you go to the next slide, this is going to be your first activity that I want you guys to work on. And this is trying to find that connection with the negritude movement as far as defining yourself. So how do I define myself? You're going to take out a separate sheet of paper and you're going to write your name in the center of that paper. And if you want to circle your name or you want to square your name, you have an example here. A little a young girl named Stephanie uh, is giving her, uh, giving you guys her example. And what I want you to do is to around your name Draw words that you feel that you would use to label yourself. You know, for example, if you're a musician and you play the guitar and you really feel that the playing of the guitar is something that defines you, then put that down. You're a musician or a guitar player. If you enjoy basketball or sports and you really feel that that is part of you, or maybe you're Maybe you're a fan of a football team or, or you're a fan of a basketball team and you really in your heart of hearts feel that that's part of who you are, write it down. Try to see if you can come up with at least 10 terms that you would use to define yourself. And Stephanie's example here, and remember that these are these are terms that, you know, it, it all depends, of course, on on which terms you feel are most important to define you. Right. She might have here what looks to be about 20 different words, but who knows? Maybe those are all 20 words that she defines herself at, but maybe she's got a top 10 or she's got a top five that she really focuses on. So here, Stephanie has written female, American, but also Haitian, not entirely Haitian, 
She's a history buff, a science dork, a runner, a twin, a sister, Catholic, lives in Boston. Me and my brother are like two sides of the same coin, self-deprecating, tall, writer. I speak English with an accent. I speak English better than my parents. Immigrant, daughter, granddaughter, survivor, not entirely American. So whatever your terms are, I want you to to work on that. And that's going to be 50 points. That's going to be the first thing that you guys are going to be submitting in the lesson. Once again, trying to get an idea of how you define yourselves. All right, guys, for the second part of the uh, the lesson, you guys are going to be doing a little bit of independent practice. So you're going to need to locate the chapter 18 textbook PDF file. It's on the next uh, slide here. It'll tell you what you're working on. This is an additional 50 points. So the activity on self-defining that you did was 50 points. This is an additional 50 points. When you locate chapter 18 textbook PDF file, you want to read pages 579 to 582. That'll help you complete the New Nations in Africa Google Docs. That's going to be attached to the lesson. So you're looking at five different nations in Africa, Ghana, Kenya, Algeria, Congo, Zaire, and um, Angola. Excuse me, pardon me. Um, you're going to be looking at tactics that were used or how these nations gained independence. That'll be the first part. You're then looking at certain reforms, certain leaders of those countries and what changes they brought to those lands and eventually the problems that happened. Now, the problems don't necessarily have to come out of the reforms or the changes, and sometimes they do. So usually as you're reading through the last paragraph, the last, that last section, should talk about what the problems are. They should kind of all be uh, written in order as you're going through it. Um, Okay, and that will end the first part. So you guys can work on that. And then if you go to the next slide, it's going to say this ends the first part of the lesson. If you feel that you have time to complete the rest of uh, of today's, uh, the rest today, please continue on to the next slides and you can continue working on it. If not, like I said at the beginning of the um, of the podcast, you can push it off and maybe work on it a little bit later on into the week. But remember, these are just two assignments of three that are going to be submitted on Friday the 15th. If you're continuing with us, either now or later, let's move on. The next slide, challenges to African democracy. All right, this is going to be from chapter 19. I believe it's chapter 19, section 2, uh, PDF. So when... Um, when the Europeans established, when they went into places like Africa, and we'll talk exclusively here about Africa, one of the things that the Europeans did was that they did not divide up the land based on cultural distinctions. They didn't base uh, when they drew their maps, they didn't go to the African people, African tribes and say, what land is your land? Because I want to make sure that you and your rival tribes are not put onto the same land, because then that would lead to civil war. What the Europeans did was they, of course, didn't ask any Africans about anything, especially conquering their territory, and simply looked at the lay of the land and said, okay, well, there are mountains in the distance to the the right, there's a river over here to the left, and there's a forest to the south. And those geographical, notable geographical boundaries on a map are then easy to use to define. You can just draw a line across the mountains and the mountains are a natural divide from one part of a nation to the next. Or the river, you might have one side of the river belongs to one nation, the other side of the river belongs to another. 
nation, or perhaps the forest or a row of trees uh, might be enough to say that this is where our land ends and where a new nation begins. Well, that might be all fine and dandy when the Europeans are there. But what happens eventually when the Europeans in the post-colonial world during times of decolonization leave? They leave the same old boundaries. And sometimes when, when the Europeans would go down there in the first place and they create these huge nations that had multitudes of diversity, of diverse African tribes living in one area, the Europeans were the ones that kind of, how would you say it, um, kept everyone calm and at bay. I mean, we're talking about tribes here that have had uh, have been at war for centuries. And all of a sudden, Europeans come in and they say, no, 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 we're not, you're not going to fight. We all are going to work for, you're, or you're all going to work for us. And then when the Europeans leave, there's no longer that peacekeeper. Uh, maybe that's not a good term to use or, you know. Um, person to stop the others from squabbling. Now you're all living in the same area uh, with tribes that have hated each other. And the only thing that kept them from murdering perhaps one another or declaring their independence were the Europeans. And now all of a sudden, those Europeans are gone and there's old scores to settle. And so one of the biggest challenges that Africa is currently dealing with is life in the post-colonial world. The Europeans left and they told the Africans in many of these states, well, hey, Figure it out. And this has led to a huge amount of civil war. And one nation in particular that you guys will be looking at in this section of the lesson is going to be Nigeria, where there are three major uh, ethnic groups or tribal groups that do not get along well with one another. And civil war became a major part of uh, Nigerian life. Uh, other problems were economic-based as well. You had many Europeans who went down and simply exploited African territory and didn't leave much of industry or resources to be um, eventually used or mined or accessed by Africans once the Europeans left. And so they don't have a large amount of uh, production. Uh, manufactured goods were, and this is something that even Latin America is going to see, that there's not a lot of manufactured goods coming out of Africa. And so um, you're kind of leaving the Africans in a economic in economic distress and many miles not steps many miles behind the rest of the world and when you have economic problems that of course means that there's going to be an inability to create a good political system and good stability in the country right so you already have civil war as one possibility and your nation is not as rich and wealthy and ready to jump into the world scene as some of the, some of these other nations are around the world uh, and then, of course, European rule, we looked about uh, at this when we talked about imperialism, colonialization, uh, disrupted African family life and community life. Um, you have Africans that were far removed from their families and were forced to uh, work on mines or plantations, as well as many of the new nations still lack skilled and uh, illiterate and educated force that would eventually be helpful, uh, workforce that would eventually be helpful in creating new nations. So it's one two, three steps that the Africans are behind, maybe miles or you know, years behind the rest of the world when they're starting to create their own new nations. Uh, the next slide shows you the two nations that you're going to be looking at with the challenges to African democracy. The first one is Nigeria. You'll have four questions that you're going to be answering on Nigeria and the troubles that they have uh, with their land. And then eventually South Africa. South Africa is going to be a little bit different because South Africa uh, is going to be a, a racial question. 
much of the power, almost all the power is in the hands of whites, white Afrikaners, white uh, old Dutch uh, Afrikaners that were there during the time when uh, South Africa became a gold, a golden diamond hub uh, in Africa. They had a gold rush, they had a diamond rush. And so many Dutch are going to go down there and eventually became the ruling class. And they told Africans in a period of what is known as apartheid or apart to separate that whites are to be on one side and blacks are, and others, I should say as well, are going to be on the other side, that they're going to be kept apart. This usually resembles a lot of the Jim Crow laws. Uh, Jim Crow is more separate, but equal, uh, not equal, but definitely separate. And the white African and South Africans are attempting to do the same thing that uh, you're black, you stay away. We're white, we stay away, and we have our own lives, and everything's based off of race. So uh, two major issues, perhaps one in, in Nigeria on civil war and one in Africa, more based on, on South Africa, more based on racism. The next slide, uh, you need to locate the uh, sheet that says the challenge of democracy in Africa. It's a Google Docs sheet. You want to read chapter 19, so please locate the chapter 19 textbook file Read specifically 607 and 611, those pages, to complete this sheet. And then you're looking for consequences off of the policies and actions taken. So they've given you the policies. They've given you the actions. You simply are, are typing in the consequences, almost like a cause and effect. These are the actions which led to these effects or these consequences. And then to finish up, I want you guys to watch a little um, – uh, it's a TED Talk uh, on Africa, New Generation of Africa – and the man who's going to be giving you the or is doing the TED Talk is going to tell you why Africa for many years has been poor and impoverished and unable to really move forward uh, like many of these other nations have or continents have in the world. Why it seems that Africa is always one or two steps behind the rest. And if you've gotten to the last slide, that's all. You're all done. Uh, once again, what do you need to submit? Number one, you need to sum, uh, submit your self-defining activity sheet. That was the one where you wrote your name and you circled your name and you drew the 10 lines to 10 words that best define you. Number two, the new nations in Africa. That's the Google Doc. That's the first one that you guys did on the five nations like Ghana and Zaire, Congo, Angola, Algeria, and uh, 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 the other one. And then the last sheet is on the challenges of democracy in Africa. And that was the one, hopefully, that you just completed on South Africa and Nigeria. Everything is 50 points. So in total, it would be 150 points. There's no set of homework questions on this one. It's just going to be those three sheets that you're going to be submitting. There will be a quiz coming up. Um, the quiz will probably be over the weekend. I'll probably send it out over the weekend and have it due like on Monday. It'll be specifically on India and Africa. So the um, the lessons that you just finished this past week on India, and then these two sections on Africa. All right. Hopefully you guys are doing well, as, as well as you possibly can be doing, given the circumstances. I miss every single one of you. Uh, right now, actually, my, my children are out of the house, and I'm in my kitchen. I'm actually sitting down at a proper on a proper seat at a table recording this. I feel, I feel like I'm a king or something. This is really weird. There's a lot of silence going on. It's, it's amazing, beautiful. Anyways, um, if you guys have any questions about this lesson or any other lessons or work perhaps that you're missing or uh, something that you need to get in, please uh, remind, uh, send me a message on Remind or email me or send me a message on Google Classroom, whatever works for you guys. 
uh, whatever you guys can use to get a hold of me. Uh, that's fine with me. All right, guys. I'll uh, see you soon or I'll, I'll see you verbally soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.